The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from Colossians chapter 1. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the 23rd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Dear ambassadors of Jesus Christ, hear the word of St. Paul, who was also an ambassador. He writes, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. 
And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is our text. Christ is our king, and we're his ambassadors. That's the real you, and that's the real me. But the question might be asked, what kind of ambassadors are we for Christ our King? Are we like the anonymous ambassador? The anonymous ambassador is often born into the position, but not always. But the anonymous ambassador often has the attitude, I've been a Lutheran all my life. My parents are Lutheran. My granddaddy was Lutheran. I was baptized Lutheran, I was confirmed Lutheran, I was married Lutheran, and by goodness, I'm also going to die a Lutheran. This privileged position is so familiar to the anonymous ambassador that he doesn't truly appreciate the appointment or live it. Anonymous ambassadors are like the millions of faceless, nameless and often faithless Jews in the Bible who were not priests to the nations or lights to the world as God had instructed them. Instead, they simply rode on the coattails of their ancestors. But we are children of Abraham and therefore heirs to the promise. The anonymous ambassador is typified by Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States, also known as Silent Cal. Silent Cal was being interviewed by a reporter one day about a meeting. And Coolidge replied, I have nothing to say, and don't quote me. An apocryphal story has it that a person was seated next to Calvin Coolidge at a dinner and said to him, I made a bet today that I could get more than two words out of you. And he replied, you lose. Get it? You lose. Two words. Alice Roosevelt Longworth, a leading Republican wit, underscored Coolidge's silence and his dour personality. She writes, when he wished he were elsewhere, he pursed his lips, folded his arms, and said nothing. He looked in precisely as though he had been weaned on a pickle. Contrast this sentiment, this dour sentiment and behavior with Jesus' exhortation to speak in the daylight and to proclaim from the roofs his message of salvation. You see, we have a life giving a life-transforming message given to us by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to share with others. And there's certainly no reason to be silent or to be anonymous about it. Many Christians can be called anonymous kingdom ambassadors. Oh, they don't really harm the cause of Christ, but they don't really help it much either. 
These ambassadors prefer to stay in the warmth and the familiar setting of the embassy. They may make an appearance for the occasional celebration at the embassy so that they can be seen or feel like they're doing something noteworthy for the king. But when asked to speak of the king or to speak of the kingdom for which they represent, they reply, I have nothing to say and don't quote me. They might even purse their lips, fold their arms and look like they've been weaned on a pickle, if you will. Their attitude and behavior are certainly not merely a reflection of the fact that they might be introverts, because even extroverts can be such people. But such an attitude really reflects their apathy and boredom and lethargy towards the love of Christ and the privileged position to which he has called them. Maybe it's that they haven't really truly appreciated what they once were, sinners, separated from God, but now reconciled to Christ because of the death of the King on the cross. And hence, they have nothing to say, nothing to share, and certainly not with any enthusiasm or excitement. Well, that's the anonymous ambassador. A second type of ambassador is the obnoxious ambassador. The obnoxious ambassador has a very high opinion of himself and thinks that he deserves the appointment. Obnoxious ambassadors are usually plagued with self-righteousness and thereby very critical and slanderous and judgmental of other people. The obnoxious ambassador is kind of like that Pharisee that we read about in the Gospels who indignantly spits out, thank God I'm not like that sinner. And I'm so glad that the king has come to his senses and seen that I'm worthy of this calling. There are many Christians who might be called obnoxious ambassadors. Loose cannons firing like it's the 4th July. And they do all kinds of damage. Damage to to the king's reputation. Damage to the king's kingdom. Damage even that they drive people away from believing in and worshiping and serving Christ as their king. And all of this because of their insufferable attitudes and behavior. They're not really interested in getting close to people, of being involved in other people's lives, of of loving people and of serving people. In fact, oftentimes obnoxious ambassadors loathe other people. And they think of themselves as a cut above the rest and build themselves up by putting others down. It's beneficial for the, um, for the anonymous and obnoxious ambassador to keep in mind that the king that they serve can recall them from their posts. And he will, unless they repent and change their heart to be more like that of the third ambassador. The third ambassador of the king is what I will call the effective ambassador. The effective ambassador realizes that she has been called by by Christ and appointed to represent him, even though she's not worthy of such a calling. The effective ambassador recognizes that she was once lost in her sin, separated from God, 
but she recognizes that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God's own very Son, came into this world and was, yes, given a crown of thorns, yes, was nailed to the cross, yes, experienced the wrath of his Father so that she might be reconciled to her God and King. And so the effective ambassador comes with a sense of humility, a sense of understanding her role within the Lord's kingdom. She understands the words of St. Paul when he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Yes, the effective ambassador recognizes that she has once been the old creation. But now in Christ is a new creation, reconciled to her Lord. Langston Hughes says, Christ took me over and made me over. And I'm a new creation. He removed the past. He secured the present. And he charted the future. And I am his. The effective ambassador is a student of the king. The effective ambassador studies the character and the priorities of the king. He reviews the word of the king and makes the king's words his own. Because you see, the message that an ambassador is to communicate is nothing but his, is not his own, but he only communicates that which is the king's. It's not the ambassador who sets the agenda or the goals, but it's the effective ambassador who realizes that he simply represents the king. And he lives to serve the king and do the king's bidding. The effective ambassador lives to honor the name of the king who has sent him. The late Moise Rosen, the founder of Jews for Jesus, recounts, A Jew exists to honor the name of God. That's what my Hebrew teacher told me when I was only six years old. When I asked for further explanation, Mr. Letter addressed me personally. Moise, when I say that you exist to honor the name of God, I mean... That's the reason why you were born. That's the reason why you're on earth. The Holy One gave you life to honor His name. And that is the destiny of every Jew. Isn't that really the destiny of every effective ambassador of Christ? We exist and are sent as Jesus' ambassadors into a foreign land. That's why we were born. That's why we're here on earth. That's why the king reconciled himself to us and gave us life and gives us life so that we might honor his name every day of our life. The effective ambassador works towards being an articulate communicator of the king's message. St. Paul, a seasoned ambassador of Christ, counsels be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. To be, a wise, to be wise and make the most of every opportunity as an ambassador of Jesus Christ means that the effective ambassador is one who is teachable and knowledgeable.
they fill their minds and they familiarize themselves with the history and the language and the beliefs and the values and the customs of the people with whom they live and to whom they are sent by Christ the King so that they might be able to better witness of the King to the people that they serve. Again, sage advice from Ambassador Paul. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Yes, we get to know the people with whom we live. We get to know the way they think, the way they act. We get to understand or try to understand their worldview. Why? So that then we can share with them the message of the King, Christ our King, and personally apply His love and mercy into the lives of where they find themselves. We become all things to all people so that some might be one to Christ. The effective ambassador realizes that he lives in a foreign land. George Schultz, Secretary of State under the Reagan administration, kept a globe in his office. And when newly appointed ambassadors had an interview with him, and when ambassadors returned from their post for the first time and were just leaving the office, Schultz would say to them, you need to go over to my globe over there. And he'd take them over to the globe and they would spin it. And then he'd say, you need to prove to me that you can identify your country. And so they'd go over to the globe, they'd spin the globe, and they'd put their finger on the country to which they were sent unerringly. Well, when Schultz's old friend, Mike Mansfield, was appointed ambassador to Japan, even he was put to the test. And this time, however, Ambassador Mansfield spun the globe and he put his finger on the United States. And he said, that's my country. Schultz later recounted this incident on C-SPAN's book notes. Said Schultz, I've told that story subsequently to all the ambassadors going out. Never forget you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You're there to represent us. You're there for now, representing us. But you're going one day to be called home. We represent Jesus in this world, which in many ways is a foreign land. But we're never to forget that our country is really Christ's kingdom and he is our king. He is our ruler. He is replaced by no one. And once we're done representing him in this foreign land, he will call us home, for heaven is our home. That's the ambassador's final place. And isn't that our hope? Isn't it our hope that as ambassadors of Christ, he will call us home? But until that day, we proclaim as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ 
be reconciled to God. We continue to proclaim the message of the King. We tell the story of this amazing King. A King whose crown was made of thorns. A King who willingly suffers and dies for his subjects. Who's punished for their sin so that they might be reconciled, forgiven, acquitted of all charges by their God. So that they might be reconciled to him even as we are reconciled to him. And we serve as Christ's ambassadors full of his grace. Our speech is seasoned with salt. And we make the most of every opportunity, always looking for the opportunities to speak, to represent the King of Kings to others. The work of an effective ambassador is challenging and it's exhausting. A number of years ago, I had a professor named Dr. Robert Newton. He was teaching mission courses at the seminary and then went on to be a pastor in San Jose and eventually became the district president of the California, Nevada, Hawaii district of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. But before he was teaching courses at the seminary, he, was, he and his wife Priscilla were missionaries in the Philippines. And they were amongst the people who were very different from them who spoke different languages, who ate different foods, and so on and so forth. And it was very difficult and challenging for he and his family to live in that kind of context. But they were like ambassadors in that place, representing Jesus to, to these people who did not know Christ. But every once in a while, Dr. Newton and his family would be able to travel to the embassy, the U.S. embassy. And he said it was such a relief to be able to go to the U.S. embassy. Because there he would be revitalized and renewed and refreshed because he'd see the American flag. He'd eat American food. He'd hear people speaking in English. And he felt at home. And he said, that's kind of like what church is. He said, church is like our embassy. He said, God sends us out as his ambassadors into the world, into our neighborhoods, into our workplace. And there we represent Jesus. And we meet people who may speak the same language as us, maybe not. But they often have different worldviews, different values, different beliefs. And it can be exhausting to be Jesus' representative in such a context. And he said, that's why it's so important for us to gather together in the embassy so that we might be refreshed and renewed by the King of Kings. To be able to come into this sanctuary, for instance, this embassy, if you will, and to be able to focus on Christ, to receive the Lord's Supper, to focus on the altar for that reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. To make, look at these beautiful stained glass windows and be reminded of God's faithfulness to us and how he ministers to us through his, through his word and how he sends us out into the community to be his representative. But we come to be renewed and refreshed. We come together as fellow ambassadors to encourage and build each other up. So then we can go back out again to represent Jesus. What a privilege Christ our King has bestowed upon us. For not only are we forgiven and redeemed citizens in Christ's kingdom, but you and I are his ambassadors. We're his representatives. And we're sent to proclaim the King's message, a message of reconciliation.
That's who we are. That's the real you. That's the real me. And so go, my fellow ambassadors, in the name of our King, our King Jesus Christ, and be effective ambassadors for him. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our King. Amen.